All right. Well, um, last time we began looking at may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And um, we've talked about that in order for God's will to be done, we have to give up our own will. So um, that this notion of God's will being done on earth is a matter of the present, not a matter of the future. Well, it is that too, but more importantly, it's a matter of the present for our own lives. And we saw that, that Jesus teaches that only those who do the Father's will enter heaven. So that's kind of a big deal, or this is a big deal. Doing, doing God's will is a big deal. Um, and we looked at Jesus' teaching that even if we first don't do God's will, um, that repentance will make us right, and we can get back on track, and we can be restored. And that repentance itself is in the will of God. And so when we, we can pray that your will be done, when we can ask for repentance as we confess. So that's even within the will of God on its own. And then um, we looked then at Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and recognized that sometimes God's will is a bitter cup of suffering. And that suffering, however, in the end, and we usually can't see it at the time while we're in it, but it will be used for God's glory. And so then we moved on then to look at this question of, well, how do we find God's will? And to answer that, we turn to Jesus telling us of the vine and the branches. And Jesus being the vine, we are the branches. God is the gardener of the vine, uh, God the Father. And Jesus says, the, the key to all this was, remain in me and I'll remain in you. So in order to understand God's will, we have to be in Jesus, in remaining in him. And then he reciprocates um, by hanging on to us. So then our prayers become the kinds of prayers which seek that God's will will be done on earth, because that's where our hearts are. And so we just naturally in our faith process turn to what is God's will. So it isn't quite as hard as it might seem to be. But really at the core of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is obeying the greatest commandment to love to love God, and to love people. So we finished up by looking at some practical Christianity um, brought to us via the book of James. So we bring heaven down to earth by living a life which honors and glorifies God and our Savior, living in the world, but not of it. All of our shortcomings in, in living a godly life are the kinds of things that we should be praying about when we look at this index, when your will be done, all right? So those things where we falter, where we have trouble um, in living a godly life. So that is doing our part to bring heaven down to earth, all right? So that's last week. Any questions about that before we, um, we move on a little bit more? Okay, so we're, we're in the process then of building a case um, that to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is really a call for radical transformation of the planet, 
but more so a radical transformation within each of us and how we prioritize the events of our lives. Okay, so we may not have thought about this way, but this is what we're doing. We're looking for this radical transformation. We know what the world's like. And it is the world dominated and controlled by Satan. And so in order to bring heaven to earth, to make God's will on earth as it is in heaven, is a, a call to transform us. All right? So as one author puts it, um, this opens the door for God to change us at the deepest levels of our being so that we come to will what God wills. That's precisely what Jesus is saying when he says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. So that we, our being is changed so that what we will is what God wills. Because we're one and the same. So that's how we kind of move from praying the words to living them. And that's how we make our world into a place closer to what God wants it to be. That his will will be done on earth. And it starts with us. Okay? So when we pray for God's will to be done, it allows the opportunity for us to receive God's grace, to help us choose God's way and not ours. Remember, in order to do God's will, we got to get rid of ours. Pastor Kevin's talked about it in the last couple of sermons about um, dying to yourself, your new being, once you're new in Christ. We talked about it also, um, saying, hey, so long self, I'm not good for you, right? And this is the same theory, this, or not theory, the same um, notion just follows through here. And so, Last week we focused primarily upon Jesus' instruction, and today I want to venture into Paul's um, perspective on praying for God's will to be done. So to begin with, let's, uh, let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. So if you've got a bookmark in your, in your Bible for Ephesians, we're just going to go past Philippians to Colossians. So look at Colossians 1. We're going to start at verse 3. So Colossians 1, starting at verse 3. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while... You will grow as you learn to know God better and better. 
We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. So Paul starts out commending the Colossians for their faith. This certainly is God's will, right? Um, being done on earth, their faith. He's recognizing their faith. And that's quickly followed up in the same uh, sentence of verse 4 um, by speaking of their love for God's people. This, then, is, remember, keeping with the second greatest commandment to love others, right? Again, certainly within God's will. And then Paul speaks of the gospel being spread all over the earth and it's bearing fruit in verse 6. He's talking about these Colossians. Hey, you're doing this. It's great. And then still in verse 6, he speaks to the, the transformation of the hearts of the Colossian believers when they heard and understood the truth of God's grace. This is his prayer, right? So then in verse 8, Paul then returns to acknowledging their love for others and expresses this love as a gift from the Holy Spirit. Nothing says heaven on earth like a gift from the Holy Spirit. If we're having trouble loving somebody, that's a sub keep that in prayer. Lord, help me to love X, whoever. So then in verse 9, Paul turns his attention to how he is praying for the believers in Colossae. And he says, he prays for God to give them complete knowledge of his will and to bless them with spiritual understanding and wisdom. This is quite a tall order, but a wonderful thing. You know, I would love if somebody prayed that for me. That God would give me this complete knowledge of his will and to have spiritual understanding and wisdom. So it's a great thing. And we ask for this so they may live in a way that always honors and pleases the Lord. So he wants them to know this, to have this, so they can bring glory to God. Well, well, why is that so important, right? Well, it moves into the next phase of, of saying, well, good works happen and good fruit is produced when you do things that always honor and please the Lord. This is exactly what we talked about last week, again, with the vine and the branches, producing good fruit. And so he concludes then in verse 13 by stating, we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness. Where is the kingdom of darkness? This world. We're praying for God's will to be done on earth in a place that is a kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of heaven. 
as we saying in verse 13, we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of heaven. So taken from the kingdom of darkness, this earth, transferred to the kingdom of heaven in spirit. Still here living on earth. And this really is just about the very meaning of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Being transformed from darkness, earth, to light, heaven. He offers his praise to them for loving well, for bearing good fruit. He praises them for changing lives by sharing the gospel. He prays they will have knowledge of heavenly things and wisdom and understanding of these things. He gives thanks to God for opening their eyes to the light of truth. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read this prayer, um, I read this prayer and I think, well, um, that really isn't the kind of prayer I would have said. In, in essence, it kind of shows my own short-sightedness of not recognizing the things to be praying about. So we read this and we think, oh, well, this is just a, a, a praise. And it is in many ways. But he's asking for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And saying, hey, the people in Colossians, you're demonstrating God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. But I want you to have more of that. You know, we tend toward kind of praying exclusively for you know, the material things or for, uh, you know, we have that laundry list of people that are hurt and sick and in the hospital and, and we go through that big long list, right? And even when we look at the, at the prayer sheet from church, it's really just a bunch of people that are sick, by and large. But those prayers are hard to find in the Bible. Now, we are instructed to pray for the sick, but in the prayers in the Bible, we don't see this come up very often, you know? We don't see, I've been praying for Aunt Gladys, her hip would get better. We don't hear those kinds of things, so it's important. So what we're seeing here is a different kind of perspective. Um, we tend to forget the spiritual things in our prayers. And that's what Paul is preaching, or pre not preaching, praying about. All these spiritual matters. The spiritual matters are the kinds of things that bring heaven to earth. So again, I don't want you to misunderstand. There is a place for those petitions. And we'll get to that um, maybe next week. But, but we tend to hover there. We tend to stay there and miss some of the other things that, that um, we're being asked or Jesus, our Lord, is teaching us to pray about. So I want to go back, though, and I want to hover around verse 9 here in this passage in, in uh, Colossians. I think this is a very instructional verse um, as we learn about prayer. And he says in verse 9, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, first off, he didn't just, oh, there's these people in Colossians, okay, I'll pray for him. He just has a quick prayer and that's it. He forgets about him, right? No. He says, I keep praying for you ever since I've heard about you. I keep praying for you. 
and so we, we kind of need to get past our, our worldly ways of thoughts and cultural standards. We need help to get past those things, to get past the darkness of the world, to, to find the standards of good and truth. And so we could pray verse 9 for ourselves. I mean, you could pray this, Lord, um, give me complete knowledge of your will. And Lord, give me spiritual wisdom and understanding. You can pray that for yourself. You can pray that for your spouse. You can pray that for your pastors. You can pray that for your neighbor. You can pray that prayer for anybody. This is a powerful thing to be praying. Yeah. When we want, I mean, this is, this is ultimately what we want. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. So in this verse, you know, Paul is helping us to understand that we need help to see ourselves through the spectrum of a heavenly lens. You know, we can, we can pray to be filled with the knowledge of God's will because being a child of God requires more than just saying so. Right? We talked about this, uh, I think, last time in Matthew 7.23 where he says, uh, I never knew you. you know, get away from me. So even though we may think or we may say we're a Christian, in the end, God knows our heart. And so if we're praying, Lord, show me your will, give me understanding, do you think we will face Jesus and he will say, get away from me? No. We will be in tune with God's will. When we look for that understanding, we pray for that understanding. So we look to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, and in doing so, we are asking God's will to be done on earth. Through me, give me your will, your heavenly will, while I'm standing on the planet. Bring your heaven to my earth. So thoughts, reactions, what do you think? Comments, questions? Yes. Yes, sir. Yes, it is. A wonderful gift. A wonderful gift. We have a God who wants to hear us. You know, I think often of Elijah and the showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. When there's 850 prophets of Baal and there's Elijah. Right? And they're all praying. 850 prophets of Baal are praying to their God. 850. And Elijah's standing around there. Maybe they're in the bathroom. He says, maybe they're in the bathroom. Maybe the God's napping. You need to wake him. So they yell louder. And they cut themselves. And they do all of this stuff, right? And it goes on for hours. And Baal doesn't answer. Elijah makes one prayer. And fire comes from heaven. One man, one prayer. Remember, though, right, as, as, uh, as James teaches us, Elijah was just a man. Remember that. You are just as strong and powerful as Elijah through prayer. 
Anything else? Thoughts about that before we kind of move along? Yeah. That's what Paul says in If, since we were baptized by the Holy Spirit, we are adopted as children of God. We are. We adopted as children. We're heirs, joint heirs with Christ in, in the heavenly realm. And because that is glory upon us, but not of ours, but of the Almighty God. Yes. And that's one of the things that we need to realize that through prayer, we're saying that Satan, the devil, that we have authority through Christ through the means. Yeah. Over this world, not you. Exactly. In in our life. In our life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's let's turn our focus into this passage in Romans twelve. Just a couple of verses. Um, Romans twelve one and two. Paul again, and he says, "And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God." because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, we see this theme that Pastor Kevin's been talking about of giving up yourself, letting God transform you into a new being, the new you, the newborn creature in Christ. So now I don't know why, but when I read this verse, um, the song, uh, Let There Be Peace on Earth, always comes to mind, right? So I read this, and in my mind I'm singing, Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. So now why, but that's that verse, that lyric comes up as I read this passage in Romans. Every time I read it, it does. There's certain passages um, throughout the scripture when I read them, a song comes to mind, or uh, you know, whatever. And that's what springs to me for this one. But, um, It seems fitting when I think of God transforming me. It also seems fitting when I think of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, You know, heaven is a wonderfully uh, peaceful place. Um, And it's shrouded in God's majesty and glory. Right, That's heaven. But I don't think of the of the kind of peace that is quiet and still, you know, like, like besides still waters. That's not the kind of peace I think of. And certainly heaven is not that. Heaven is not quiet and still. I mean, there is praising and singing going on, and there is the, you know, so like, you know, in the basketball, you know, the, the three-pointers made and it's a swish, and you hear that, in the crowd, right? Right, so somebody on earth gets saved. What are the angels doing? Right, the angels are praising. It's not quiet, nor is it really peaceful in heaven. But in a sense of of still, that's what I mean. It's not still, and so um, I don't really think either of the kind of peace 
That is the absence of war, of war. But that certainly is true, right? Where there's, there's not any war going on in heaven. Um, but what I, I think of a peace um, within a being, um, a, a peaceful heart, a peaceful spirit. So I think, well, that peace, let there be peace on earth, let it begin with me. Let me have a peaceful heart. Let me have a peaceful spirit so that I'm not going to war with you. I want that to reign in me. So this is kind of more like the peace that I see of that's warm and satisfying. It's, it's pleasing, comfortable. And that seems to fit my image of, of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we know sometimes his will is a cup of suffering. But in the end, what all of that means is trust and to have peace in our hearts that God's in control, I can trust in him, and it's okay. I don't like this circumstance I'm in. In fact, I hate it, Lord. I hate this. But... I trust in you. I have peace. And that's what, um, that's what Paul is in essence saying. Give them understanding. We're told of the transforming power of the gospel. And to seek God's will by allowing him to transform us away from the will of the earth and toward the will of God, the will of heaven. Notice how Paul says, let God transform you. Don't resist. Embrace it. Right? We resist because the things of the world are comfortable. We know them. Um, everybody's doing it. And he says, let God transform you. Let go of it. And let God transform you. Let God mold you by changing the way we think. We don't have the power within us on our own. Left our own devices, we would be like the world or worse. And so we need this divine intervention. Let God transform you. We need this intervention um, when we allow ourselves to be molded um, by the potter, right? And, and not, or I'm sorry, when, when we allow ourselves to be molded, our mindset changes. We, it starts a metamorphosis, right? It starts out slow and small, little things here and there, and our way of thinking changes. And the big church word we use for this is sanctification. Right, we go through this process of little by little, our hearts are changed, our thoughts are changed, the way we react changes, the way we see circumstances changes. And we, we begin to start seeing our existence from a heavenly perspective instead of worldly. Instead of, well, how come they get to do that and I can't? Well, how, why do they get to go first? Why well, I want to be first. Why do they get to be, hey, we have all these things, right? And so... We, we have this worldly perspective, and as we allow God to mold us, to change us, I'm sorry, you go ahead and go first. 
Let me get the door for you. Go ahead and turn. It's really my it's my turn at the intersection, but but you go. We get changed. That darkness of the world starts melting away. And we pray for this. We pray to be changed. We pray to be molded. We pray, we pray that God let me see the world the way you do. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're able then to see God's will uh, while we're on earth and being prepared then is actually a preparation to becoming a heavenly being. Now, I'm going to confess, and this is one of those things that even Pastor Kevin talked about in his sermon this morning, that, that um, I'm angry too often with circumstances of our world, um, with people who seem to be overly consumed with themselves, with, um, well, I guess I say, and in my self-righteousness, right, I fail to see the hypocrisy in my own heart, right? I get mad at them when they're doing, I'm doing exactly what they're doing. They want to be first and right, and I'm mad because they're first and right, and that's what I want, and how come you think you should be first and right? I get angry over the events in our culture um, and the evil that is so rampant and, and the zealous nature with which that evil is promulgated. I get angry, and I stay angry, and that's wrong. I mean, there's some righteous anger but I, I know it's wrong that I harbor that. And I, and I pray to be relieved of that anger, that I would see the world the way God does. Now, I know God is angry at this, too. I know God's angry about abortion. I know God's angry about gay marriage. I know God's angry about transgender. I know he's mad about all these things. I know he's mad that, that we're overtaxed and that there's a whole lot of, of graft going on in our government. I know he's mad about that. But those are the things that are not for me. Where does judgment come? Not from Dave Calhoun. <clears throat> so I can do my part to bring light into this darkness, but I have this struggle of, of having the peace of heaven, let there be peace on earth, let it begin with me, and is my anger righteous? So we know there is righteous anger, right? Jesus upset the temple, right? And he said, you made us into a den of thieves, right? He, he upset the, the, the tables in his anger. And he withered the fig tree in his anger. So we know about righteous anger. And God over and over tells us he's angry. I try to, how do I manage all of this, right? And so, how do I peacefully and lovingly bring heaven to earth to a place that not only doesn't want it, they don't want this peace, they don't want this quiet, um, they don't want it. In fact, they're, they're waging war against it, trying to repel it. And so I struggle. How do I lovingly and peacefully share the kingdom in a place 
that repels it. Not indifferent. Against it. And so my best and, and only hope then is to turn to our God and ask that he transform my heart so that I might learn and understand his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Romans 12 kind of shows us, if you look at the chapter, Romans 12 shows us really um, what it looks like when we love God with all of our heart and all of our soul, mind, and strength. That's what chapter Romans 12 teach, shows us. This is what it looks like. When you love God with this entirety, this is what it should look like. So certainly, this is something that we should be praying for when we think about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that kind of brings us then to a question as we think about living in a way that follows the ways and customs of this world, the world. Do we find ourselves saying, yeah, I believe in the Bible, and then live in some other way? You know, I don't know, I forgot the numbers, but the, I know um, statistically, number of believers is falling, number of people that, that profess it. I'm sorry? 64%. Are currently say they are believers? And they're leaving. Okay. 64% are leaving the church. Leaving the church. Yeah, okay, so that number of professing Christians has fallen dramatically in, say, the last 25 years. So we still have a lot of people that profess, at least publicly, to be Christian. But then when we watch them, we see something different, right? And so we think, okay, so I need to examine myself. Am I like that? Am I one of those people? And so, um, so I, if I claim to be a Christian, there should be some evidence of that, right? And there should be not only some works, but then I have to examine myself and say, well, what am I reading? What, um, what do I watch on TV or listen to on the radio or what podcasts are you watching or listening to? You know, it's getting harder and harder to watch TV. Yep. They're just as, just, well, beyond poor storylines, there's just so much sin brought into it that it's normalized. Um, and so just for example, there's a number of TV shows that we would kind of like to watch but they, they've got this thing where they have to have the, you know, the lesbian couple or they've got to have whatever. And so I was watching a reasonably harmless show. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Penn and Teller. They're, they're illusionist magicians. Um, they don't proclaim black magic. It's, it is all, it's all illusion. And they basically will tell you that that's, it's just illusion. So it's kind of fun to watch that. They have a show called Fool Us. And so they invite other magicians in to see if they can fool Penn and Teller on how they performed their illusion. And it's just kind of fun to watch it, to see how the, how the craft is done. And so this, they do a lead into this story, right? Every time there's a new magician coming on, they give kind of a bio 
and you hear that person talking and they're kind of telling her story. And so this, it was a woman this time, this, um, I don't know what night it was, Saturday, Friday. And, uh, and she's telling her story and she says, you know, this has been a man's game and it's about time that a bisexual woman, a bisexual uh, magician be on the show. And I went, okay, okay, well that doesn't necessarily, that's not really relevant to your story, but I didn't, you know, okay, fine. And she keeps going on telling her story. And it's like, well, it's important that uh, the bisexual community, and I'm like, okay, we're done. I don't need to be infiltrated by this. I don't need to be normalized that this is okay. I changed the channel. But we find ourselves doing that a lot. Try to watch this, well, let's try to watch this new show. And it's like, okay, uh, we tried, but can't. I'm not, it's not that, that I'm so naive. It's that the Lord is telling me, don't let this change you. Don't let you think this is right and okay. Even though they think it's right and okay, you don't need to think this is right and okay. And so, we need to examine ourselves. What are we watching? What are we listening to? What, is, what are we allowing to creep into our existence? What are we allowing to alter our spiritual light? Where do you find yourself on the internet? What are you looking at? There's a lot of junk out there. Um, and so I like to look at this like the things that are filling up your glass of life, right? What is in your glass of life? Um, are they God-honoring things um, that are going to lead you closer to the Lord? Or are they things of the earth, of the world, that are creeping in, little by little? Satan's lies are disguised as truth. He is a great magician. There's just enough truth that you believe it. Surely, God doesn't care if you eat from that fruit, does he? That tree? I mean, goodness, all you should, why should he care if you eat from that one? Just go ahead and do it. God loves you. It's no big deal. But we need help. We need help to live in a way um, that brings heaven to earth. Otherwise, we get sucked in to the earth. And the will of this prayer is that we be transformed. To have God's will within us. So any questions or thoughts, comments about that? Okay. Kind of piggyback on what the guy was saying. I, I saw something, it was here recently, and he, he said, well, he, he was saying 64% proclaimed to be Christians. Mm -hmm. This guy, he, he did a poll, so he said it was 67, which both of them... Yeah, close, sure. Right. Yeah. But for, for me, that, it kind of seemed reasonable because, you know, the way the world is now, but what was more shocking, and I didn't realize it, he went on to, to also ask who actually follows a world yeah. biblical preaching of Christ. <coughs> 
shocked because he wasn't even shocked because he figured probably half, maybe a little yeah. more than half. It's either two percent or four percent right. of that number. Right. So he he goes most people that are going to church, although they proclaim to be a Christian, ninety percent of them are not following what a biblical principle based doctrine right. is. So they right. they're doing this and kind of like you know they're watching t- or, or they're doing other stuff that skews their right. thinking and, and then they're listening to more of the world than than God. So so they're really confused because they're going to church and proclaiming, but but yet their daily walk or what they're watching or listening to it's kind, kind of a different story. Yeah. yeah. And the reason why that is because a lot of people to be proclaiming, professing Lord, they're they're accepting the gift and they're in love with religion and they're not having a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting you say that um, because, you know, you, you really can't uh, worship God and be in bed with God and then also be in bed with the devil. You, you can't. You can go on for a little while. You can fool yourself for a little bit, but you're not fooling God at all. And so, um, and I think, too, is on this topic that I'm always reminded of you know, the, the way to death, that, that road is wide, right? It's a huge road and it's an Autobahn, the speed limit's 150. And a lot of people are on that Autobahn, there's a lot of people, right? Yeah. But the path to salvation is through a narrow gate. Yeah. And only few find it. And so, as we look around, we have to remember, 90% of the people out there, are on the Autobahn. So don't be surprised. It, it shouldn't shock you. Because the Lord tells us this is the way it's going to be. But only few, only few, are going to find the narrow gate. I think, uh, I think it was Paul that says, um, they, will, they will love what is evil. What well, is good? You're exactly right. Yeah, that comes up a couple different times. Um, we find it in Isaiah as well, and certainly that's not anything new. Um, but now we're seeing it, we're seeing it with greater zeal um, as we as we approach closer to the rapture. Um, we're seeing this very much more. You know, before it was always kind of just uh, subtle. Now it's in your face, right? That's what I was talking about. The zeal in which they they profess their and promote their evil is what, what I get righteously anger, angry over. Um, so we need help. And because even though we don't want to, you know, Paul mentions that too, where he says, hey, there's these things I, I really want to do. The things that I want to do, I don't. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. And so we're trapped in this human condition in a place that Satan rules, our only hope is to seek the Lord. And we do that through prayer. And we seek his will and his understanding. Um, and still, the best course of action for that is, is here. Um, well, let's see, though. Let's, let's turn and look at this good, pleasing, and perfect will thing a little more. Let's look at Proverbs 3 real quick. Um, 
A couple of verses there in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And there we find, um, Turn to the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. All right, so look at these and we think, well, all right, are these verses then, is this advice in, in Proverbs telling us that we're going to assume that God is going to make all these decisions for us? That all we got to do is pray to God and He's going to make the decisions for us. Well, did you pray about what to wear to church today? And yet you still got yourself dressed acceptably, right? We didn't need to pray about that. We didn't need God's will to tell us how to dress for church. And did you pray about, gosh, should I put two slices of cheese on my Dagwood sandwich or just one, right? We don't need to pray about those things. So God's really not going to make all the decisions for us. We still have um, our own free will to choose, right? And so the Bible doesn't contain this magical instruction for every detail of our lives. It's like, well, show me the verse that says a blue car is better than a red car. Well, there is no such thing. We have freedom to make choices. God gives us that freedom, which for those that choose sin, they choose to suffer. Their choice. God's not going to tell you, don't do that necessarily. It's your choice. He's going to tell you, this is what happens when you do it. God could have prevented all of the kings of Israel from doing the stupid stuff they did, but he didn't. So we still have this freedom to make decisions, but when our decision-making process is, is, um, is marked, marked by a study and an intentional application of God's instruction, when our, when our decision process, the making process, we look at God's word, and what makes sense, and the decisions that matter will be influenced by our understanding of what God finds to be good, pleasing, and perfect. Right? They're spiritual decisions that matter. And we can find those answers when we read and when we know and we, we, we intentionally under, try to understand, when we pray for understanding. So, I want to throw out this idea to ponder this on your notes, um, on the note sheet there. So I'm just going to read this follow along. It says, more often than not, we think of God's will as an expression that refers to seeking God's determination, considering the choices I make. It's assumed that God has predetermined what he wants his children to do, and we must try to discern God's will when we are making a choice as to a job or over whom we should marry or over major purchases or what church to attend when we moved into a new town. It's as if God's will is some secret bullseye in the sky that we have to try to hit the center of 
even though we cannot see it. What do you think of that? Does that have some truth to it? Do you often find yourselves kind of in that perspective of, of looking for God's you know, will in the everyday decisions that we make? Mm -hmm. So we seek the Holy Spirit, <coughs> but does the Holy Spirit care if we get a red car or a blue car? So do I pray, Lord, I like both of these cars, one of them is red, which one of them is blue, which one should I buy? Lord, show me, lead me by your Spirit, which car should I buy? Probably not. You're going to go, you know, I kind of like red better. The Lord's leading me to red. I like red better. So the Lord's leading me to red. I'm going to buy red. <clears throat> but we think, though, too, in all these decisions, and I've watched people go through this, where they, they're, you know, changing a job or looking for a new job and are praying about it. And, and it's right. They should. But again, it's like, it's like we're trying to find this hidden bullseye to find God's will. But where do we find God's will? Yeah. It's right here. We have it. We just have to take the time to learn it. So, if the Bible then is not a crystal ball. Well, it's not. It's not a crystal ball. We can rub it and look at it and go, okay, do I buy red or blue? Do I wear a dress or slacks? Right? We don't, we don't have that. Right? So how do we find his will? And so if we look at um, 2 Timothy 3, we get a little, we get a little uh, this is a familiar verse, but we're gonna get, this is going to show us where we find it. How do we, how do we go about this? And so in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, we get this instruction. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God says, read my instruction book. I've given all this to you to show you what is right and to show you what is good. And then when you look at that and you go, gosh, golly, um, I'm not doing that right. His book convicts us. And so we're taught to pray too, and we say, Now, Lord, search me. Search me and show me where I need correction. Because I can't always see it. My heart wants to do right by you. My heart wants to live in the light, but I'm in a world of darkness, and the darkness tells me 
these things are right. And so, Lord, I need you to show me what is right by your will. God is pointing us. He's directing our path to his divine word. In learning what he says, we can be molded by the potter to be equipped to do good things. What does that have to do with our topic of prayer? We are being equipped to do good things. Good things that come from where? Where do all good gifts come from? God. So we say, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Good gifts come from God, come from heaven. Lord, show me how to do good work. Show me how to do good things on earth like they're done in heaven. God gives us freedom to make good decisions within moral parameters. How else could we live in this world? I mean, how could we else we live if we, but not of that, to not have a standard to, to, okay, don't go beyond this. And Paul goes into a, a kind of a long discourse on this subject um, in 1 Corinthians. We're not going to spend time there, but that in, um, in chapters 8 through 10. So if there's something that interests you of you know, how to live in, in this world with conflict, you know, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, Paul gets into that a little deeper and goes through some different examples and shows kind of how we live side by side. But when we are faced with a decision that might have spiritual implications, we should pray about it. Okay, so now you think, well, that doesn't happen very often, right? Spiritual implications, that's all about my, my salvation. I got that sealed up. No big deal. Um, but it is. It's more than that. And so we should be praying about that. And there's really a lot of decisions. You would, you, when we could kind of think about this, and you're going to be thinking about this, you're going to realize there's a ton of decisions that you make that have spiritual implications, right? And so we spend our time on earth doing what? Building treasure. Building treasure where? Building treasure in heaven, right? So the things we do, we're building up our treasure in heaven. So the things we do, the decisions we make, have spiritual consequences because you're earning rewards for heaven, all right? So... Um, so it's important that we be praying to be directed to an understanding of God's will, and it's helpful to seek the advice of fellow believers. Iron sharpens iron, let one man sharpen another. So it's helpful to talk to Christian friends, pastors, you know, whatever, to seek counsel. And, and I think, too, to put a plug in here for life groups, um, I think life groups are a great place for this, to help us sift through some of these decisions that we need to make. And they're not, they're not necessarily big decisions. They're not at all. Um, you know, our families are messy. Our neighbors are messy. Um, we're messy. And so we need each other to help with all that messiness that's going on. It's just there. And so um, praying for those decisions you know, should I go to Fred's visitation? Uh, it's kind of later and it's a weird time and I don't really know anybody's family. And um, 
um, should I send a card to Louise? Well, you know, she's probably going to be out of the hospital by the time she gets it. And, and I don't know, but I've I got to get her to the post office. I don't have any stamps. And should I send that card to Louise? You know she's sick. Is that a spiritual decision? Yes, it is. Showing love is a spiritual decision. Should I send money for hurricane relief? Well, spiritual decision. The answer may be no, but it's still a spiritual decision. Pray about where you shop. Paul tells us uh, in 1 Corinthians that you cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons. You can't do both. But yet we try to. And so does your conscience put a yellow, a yellow light in front of you about when you're about ready to walk into a store? Because you know what they're doing with their profits. If he's putting that yellow caution light up to you, heed it. He may not be. But if he is, heed it. That's a spiritual decision. If you have this, maybe I shouldn't buy from them because don't. Pray about it. Seek understanding. Do you now, think if we were to do that, if we were to consciously do that, <clears throat> I don't think it would be wrong at all until God would honor those thoughts and yeah. begin to think that way without stopping to say, well, should I shop here? Very good, Kay. That's exactly the point of what we've been talking about. And that's exactly right. <clears throat> yeah. And so again, these little decisions that we think are just inconsequential are not. And they are decisions that we can be praying about. It seems nuts. Should I send in the card to Louise or not? These things are important. They have eternal impact. So we can look back a lot of times and, and, and see where the hand of God was at, right, in our lives, looking back. But it's nearly impossible to see what's going to happen in the future, right? So um, we can't always look to the future to see where to go. But we need the guidance of the scripture and of each other so that we would know Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, any final thoughts? Are we close things up? Kay's a good woman. She's a smart woman. I wasn't even on time. So. <laughs> right. And so in our kindness and our love and in sharing God's love for you, it's okay. We're glad you're here. But your comments about righteous anger and all that, I think part of why our, our media cycle today is anger. It's all anger. Yes, it and, is. I don't know what the research was, but he was talking about how he sat down with that the, the three strikes law in California. Mm -hmm. The guy who was behind that, his daughter, mm -hmm. was just cold blood murder on the street, random. And he said, he took me, 30 years later, he took me back, we sat at a cafe across the street from where it happened. He went through it in detail. He was very bitter and very angry. Right. And he talked about right. another family for another incident and chose to, you know, to forgive and to channel it in a more loving manner instead of going for three strikes and without right. laws and right. thinking everybody should be angry with you. Right. And then 
I mean, anger is a good motivator to start with, I think, right. in general. Right. But you got to channel that into something, right. something more loving. Right. And, and so it's a good I point, can't right? Because I can't live on that level of anger all the time. We know from God's word. What do we do with this, right? God's word would tell us, forgive, right? And we're going to get to that in line in the Lord's Prayer. You know, forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. When we, God says, forgive, and, and he restores people. But we don't want them to be restored, right? We're, we're more like Jonah. I don't want those Ninevites to be saved. Man alive, they're nasty, ugly people. I don't want it to happen. And our hearts can become hard like that too if we do not seek God's will. Because the world would tell us, be mad, you're a victim, you need to be justified, somebody's got to pay, right? God would tell us, forgive. Love them anyway. And that's really hard to do. Yes. Yes. Other thoughts? Yeah, his shoulders are big enough, ours aren't. And we don't need to worry about tomorrow. Day has enough problems of its own, right? All right, well, let's, um, let's close in prayer. Father, we do seek understanding. Lord, it is in our human condition for us sometimes difficult to understand what your will means. And so, Lord, we recognize and acknowledge that you are greater than we and that your thoughts are not like our thoughts and that, that they will never be. In our human condition, we just do not have the capacity to think and to love and to reason as you do. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would give us the little bits that we can handle that each day you would guide us, that we would be more like you, and that each day we would be vulnerable enough and that we would recognize that we need you, that we can come to you, that we can pray for these things that seem inconsequential but are meaningful. And so we just pray that you would hear us, you would bend down your ear, um, that you would hear us, and that we could um, become more and more like Jesus every day. And so, Lord, in that in that thought and in that process of sanctification we pray that as we depart our fellowship now that you would guide us that what we say and what we do brings glory to you and we pray this in jesus name amen